This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hi, everybody. My name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is Jen. Before we get started with our show this week, I wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about a great place to buy and sell fashion items. So my daughter, Sydney, who is our family's absolute fashionista, turned me on to Poshmark and we love it. So Poshmark has tons of name brands to shop from like Coach and Kate Spade, LuLaRoe, Gap, Zara, just tons, so many more. It is the easiest way to buy and sell fashion items. And instead of paying crazy prices for new things, you can shop from millions of closets across America. It is such an easy and affordable way to enjoy your favorite brands. Plus, shipping is super fast and easy for the buyer and the seller. We love it so much. We wanted to pass on a special deal to you, the listeners of the For the Love podcast. So when you join up at poshmark.com and make your first purchase, you can get $5 off by using the code FORTHELOVE5. So head on over to poshmark.com or download the free app and save $5 today with the code FORTHELOVE5. Now, let's get started with this week's show. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your very glad hostess of the For the Love podcast. Welcome back to our little podcast community. I'm so happy to have you here as always. Guys, today's a biggie. It just is. It is a biggie. I mean, first of all, how much fun are you having in our For the Love of TV series? I mean, I am so all in. I mean, you know how much I love TV. It's one of my favorite things. And so talking to all these brilliant, creative people that make it possible is just so delightful and fun. But today, I mean, without a doubt, you already love her. We all do. Every one of us. We're incapable of anything but loving her. She has starred in two of the most beloved beloved comedy series of the last decade, The Office, an unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, um, as well as 
super major box office smashes, Bridesmaids. You guys, I've probably seen Bridesmaids 15 times. And 21 Jump Street, hilarious. She is kind. I mean, really, like, wait till you hear this interview. It's like she's our best friend who just piled on the couch with us. And she is so warm and talented, smart. She's a super smarty Princeton grad. Um, and so I'm so pleased to tell you that Ellie Kemper is our guest on the show today. So a little bit about her background, which we'll, we'll talk to her about, but she grew up in St. Louis and then she went to Princeton and majored in English, did some graduate studies actually at Oxford and then went to New York and started at the very um, beginning and worked her way up. And um, a lot of us met her for the first time as Aaron Hannon, season five of the office. And, and then of course our beloved Kimmy Schmidt. And we're going to talk about all of that, um, which she just wrapped up her fourth season with. So um, as creative people often do, Ellie is very talented beyond acting. I mean, she was an English major at Princeton. So she's a writer. She's written for GQ and Esquire and New York Times, McSweeney's, The Onion. And she just released her first book of essays, and it's called My Squirrel Days. And it is a riot, and it's also tender, and you must run your little legs out and get a copy. And uh, we'll talk about that too. So Ellie and her husband, who's a comedy writer also, Michael Corman. They live in New York with their two-year-old baby lovey son, James. So you guys, lucky us. Lucky us today. Help me welcome to the show, Ellie Kemper. I, I'm, I'm just giggling. I'm sitting at my desk and I'm laughing um, because I'm so happy to have you on the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. I am so honored to be a guest on your show. I'm giggling too. I am, I'm ecstatic to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are so beloved to so many of us. And so we just feel like finally we're getting to talk to her. Like, my gosh, what took so long? Yeah, you are the um, sweetest person for saying that. I'm not sweet. Nobody no. would say that. Nobody <laughs> no one would, would describe. say that. No, I would. I no, would. that is the <laughs> fake. Um, so listen, thank you again. I've told our listeners, obviously, I mean, they know who you are, but I've given them some high level stuff about you and um, some of the projects you've worked worked on and, um, and, and your trajectory, but this is the first thing I want to ask you because the internet told me that, and this, I just want to know if this is fake news, that John Hamm was your teacher in high school. Is this a true story? That is the most real news you will read or hear today. <sighs> I just yes. can't believe it. I, can you believe that? I no, mean, I really can't. One lucky person. He went to my high school. Um, he graduated uh, before I got there. He was uh, 10 years. He is, still is, 10, 10 years, years older. Yeah. And when he graduated college, he came back to teach theater for a year at John Burroughs School. That's our school. Okay. And so when I was a freshman, he taught the improv, the improvisation uh, yeah. section of our theater class. And I mean, you know, he, I, I do remember specifically that he was a very good teacher. Cause you know, sometimes when someone's good at something, they uh -huh. not necessarily good at teaching it, but absolutely he happens to be excellent at both. Oh my gosh. And he's so dreamy. I mean, did everybody have a crush on him? Of course. I mean, yes. Uh, yeah. Like, yes. But I he, mean, there's he, no way to not matinee idol, but also, I mean, you have someone who's just like, he was barely out of college too. So you'd be right. like, oh, he's kind of friends with us, but like, yeah. no, he, he, um, it's so funny. Like when I started seeing his face on like 
I was in Los Angeles and saw like his face on the sides of buses, like yeah. Don Draper. That is right. so crazy. <laughs> now I can't look at him without thinking Don Draper, of course. And it's he's phenomenal. I just love it. I just didn't know that. And so that makes it even funnier that he's your like demented TV husband on Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, like you're just having this full circle thing with John Hamm. That felt so surreal when they when they announced that he would be playing the Reverend because it was like, <laughs> wait a minute, I know him. <laughs> so okay like you just mentioned you're from st louis you are in the from the middle of america's heartland yeah so you're a kid like what were you what were you like what were you interested in what was your family like and is this sort of the direction that you were pointed is was this career like in the stars for you Sort of, although I'm not sure that I recognize that at the time. And I'm so envious. I don't know if you knew exactly what it was you wanted to do when you were a kid. If you I did not. It. Yeah. And do you wish, I kind of wish, I can see it both ways, but I kind of wish I had a uh, definite idea of what it was that I wanted to do. Yeah. Because I think that helps guide you, right? It uh, can. And I know people like that who were so clear so yeah. early on that we could just take one look at them when they were seven years old yeah. and be like, we know exactly where you're going and you're going to be amazing at it. Right. Right. And I don't, I didn't have that. It sounds like uh-huh. you weren't necessarily sure either. And I, I know that I, I always loved performing and I loved writing stories and I, millions of other children love doing that too. So, but that was, a, um, I, I was about to say a hobby. Do kids have hobbies? Uh-huh. That was an activity <laughs> right. I indulged in a lot, but I, I didn't really give um, much thought to what it was that I wanted to do until later when I was in college and beyond. But as a child, I, uh, I, I come from a very loving and supportive family, again, luckiest person on the planet. So, uh, that was, it was nice to know that I did feel a sense of, um, that was never explicitly said so that I could pursue something that interested me and that they would support that, um, decision. That matters. Just when you have that sense of like, my parents are into me and they believe in me and the sky's limit. Well, your sister, your little sister carries a TV writer now too. So something was in the water at your house. Did you guys, I was just talking this morning um, to my friend Kim Paisley uh, for the podcast and we were laughing about when we were all, when we were both growing up and we did the, like the programs, the shows for yes. our families, which could also be double as hostages. Um, Cause they have nowhere to go. Did you guys do that? Absolutely. Okay. Oh, yeah. First of all, bless our parents. Like I know bless God them. Bless. And I, God bless because they, and now, and you have four kids or three kids. Oh my God. I have five. It's so I dumb. Know. I know. It's just, no, I do. Don't. I don't know what to say. It's so many. It's a lot of, I, I can't, you, when do you say you have five children? I understand the concept. <laughs> I have one, I have one child. I understand the concept. I, right. I, I don't, it's like, you don't know it till you're in it, I guess. But I, now as a parent, do you just have so much more? Appre- I, I have endless. Oh my gosh. I always respected my parents. I respected them. That sounds so formal. I've always, I always appreciated everything that they yes. did for me. I now have a gratitude that I didn't know was possible because they are poor parents. They put up with, they, the they endured so much stuff. They're fine. But, but yes, holding our, our audience hostage, creating those programs. You meant oh like the God. actual paper programs, right? Oh, like we had a production. 
We oh. had microphones that we plugged into our little recorders. Yes. And I think they had to have lasted three hours. I mean, they were just a nightmare for everyone. <laughs> and they, we wouldn't let them leave. They were our hostages. Oh, they were. And like, and like through the costume changes and the scenery changes. And they just had to oh. Also, by the way, sometimes we would do like an encore a week later. We'd be like, we're bringing it back out. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. More You're where welcome. that came from. And, and you New know, Year's, yeah, revival. That is so true. We did the exact same thing. And right. um, yeah. what is the age? What is the age range of your kids? My youngest is a seventh grader. And then I have two in high school and I have two in college. So they drive cars. And let me tell you something. I know you think you don't want that little one to ever drive. Yes, you do. (laughs) You do. You're going to be like, hand them the keys. I mean, get yourself there. Also drive your little brother and sister and go get some milk and tampons. I mean, it is, it is a whole new world. So you, you, um, you went to Princeton because you're smarty smart. (laughs) No. Major in English. I mean, it shouldn't be shock any of us that you ended up writing a lot and you wrote a whole book, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, so let me ask you this. When you were in Princeton, talk to us about your studies and, and who did you want to be? Like, did you have a person that you kind of put in front of you and went, that is the kind of career I want, or that is, I want to sort of pattern after this person, or I respect this work and I'm kind of reaching for this idea. Did you have that? I mean, it was not fully, uh, carved out, but if I, if I, if I had to do, uh, you know, um, a search into maybe my subconscious, I would say that during that time at Princeton where I was studying, but also playing field hockey for the first couple of years, then doing really focusing on performing and doing improv comedy, probably in the back of my head, percolating was an idea of, oh, if I could have anything close to the career, listen to this, what I'm about to say, how I'm going to sentence, you're going to think I'm like, well, yeah, everyone would like that. I was like, well, I'd like to be Elaine on Seinfeld. Like that there well, was, yeah. I mean, of course I, I, yes. I continue to idolize Julia Louis-Dreyfus, but, but maybe there was, you know, a notion of, okay, well, if you, you know, you will uh, graduate from college, what is it that you want to do after that? Well, if you were, you know, to say what would be your dream, I think some, something in, in that realm would be the dream. But I, while I was there, I think, I don't know if, how you plan your life. I really think I do it like year, even now, year to year kind of. And so, uh-huh. In college, I wasn't thinking about what to do after college until probably senior year. But yeah, yeah, you know, I went to Chicago the summer before my senior year and I felt like I saw so much improv there and I saw, Mm. you know, actual adults doing the work. And then it became it seemed very uh, within reach where it's like, oh, I see people who are who are have day jobs and then are doing improv at night. And that seemed like something that you could go after. So you're thinking at the time you're, you're gravitating toward improv. That's the space that is like speaking to you and where you kind of feel like you are coming to life. And so after college, you moved to New York, right? Um, so tell us like what happened there. Like how did your career start like taking root and where did you start getting traction and what did you discover in New York as an actor? And like this path is starting to lay out in front of you. Yeah. I, I, you know, whenever you're starting a new phase, I think it can, there are so many hiccups and speed bumps, I guess, and, yeah. and feeling like, oh, am I making any progress? And this is depressing. Totally. And yeah. And, and that can be tough. But I, I think that, um, well, I signed up for classes right away at the People's Improv Theater, which is uh-huh. affectionately known as the Pit and the Upright Citizens uh-huh. Brigade Theater. Sure. And yes. And I, uh, I, I was able to, um, 
uh, my parents helped me pay for those classes. I want to be upfront about that because huh? not everyone, when you move to a new city, can immediately sign up for you know improv classes. And I was lucky exactly. that I was able to do that. And so um, I started taking classes there. I started doing some temp jobs during the day, worked yeah. at a bakery, doing uh, odd jobs <laughs> here and there. You know, type. I remember typing for a. I was like a keyboard. What, what, what are you? If you're, if you're not the dictator, you're the, like the, 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 the typist. Let's just say typist. Typist. I just feel like that is what you are. You are a person who types also known as a typist. A typist. Also, what was that $25,000 pyramid? I was like, it's, if you're not the, uh, you're not the person (laughs) saying the words, you're the Okay. The one with the fingers on the keyboard doing the letters. Yes. Typist. Typist. Okay. Um, and, uh, so, so those were jobs, you know, of course, to pay rent and earn money. But, of course. Um, starting to take those classes uh, felt like, okay, well, at least I'm I'm headed in the right direction. But yeah. once I completed those classes, then you're able to start submitting. I don't know how it is now. This was a million years ago. But submitting shows to those theaters. And that's when I really felt like, oh, I'm getting to put stuff up that I wrote. Yeah. That, you know, that I wrote with my friend Scott. That I wrote with my improv team, Big Black Car. And feeling like... Um, you know, it's a performance, but it's something tangible that you can give yep. a friend a postcard and say, come see my show. And that, fe- I don't know what, I don't know how much the internet has changed all of this. I'm like a thousand. Oh, I, sa- I sound point. like I'm a thousand, right? Like, oh, so you literally mailed this, you mailed it in the mail, like an, a mailman would take uh, it. Yeah. Or, 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 or left a stack at a restaurant, you know, oh like that gosh. kind of thing. I know. And it's so, such a hustle. It's such just so hustle. much hustle. Yep. And you're emailing the same group of friends. I mean, we did have email. I don't want to act like I was in a yes. dark age. But emailing the same friends over and over and bless them for like com- – <laughs> saying bless them, but like for coming to see those – Totally. friends hostage, but you yes. need to fill the seats in some way, you know. Uh, I've had a lot of comedians on the show, and they all say that. They're like – some in some of those early days – I mean, a full 70% of the people in the room are like my roommates, my best friend, my parents. Um, So God love them for like filling seats and like getting you through that phase. I get tickled anytime somebody says, you know, well, this comedian just made it all of a sudden. I'm like, they did not all of a sudden make it. They've been in these bars and at these shows and they have been on the road and living out of crappy suitcases and... Now it's so much work. Tell us about interning a little bit at Conan because this was kind of a big deal, right? This was, this led to a meeting with a writer who was fairly important in your life. Yes, 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 yes. I uh, so so I was uh, like an old, I I won't say an old. I was an older intern as far as interns go. Most of my fellow interns were still in college, but my younger sister Carrie, who we talked about a second ago, yep. had interned at Conan. I think like the summer before her senior year. So I must have been twenty. And I asked okay. her, I was like, uh, could you pass my name along to your boss? Absolutely. Yeah. And so um, I, I, she passed my name to Aaron Cohen, who, um, I guess, are you hired as an intern? No, who, who took me on as an intern. Yep. And I interned there for about, I think, I think it was half a year, six months. And uh-huh. um, I, that's exhilarating. It's so exhilarating. And oh, first I of bet. all, you're not getting paid, which is crazy, but that's how it goes. <laughs> and you are, uh, you you feel listen you feel very important you're like totally right like there's a it's thrilling to to be in an environment like that i think if i was interning at conan i would literally drop that into every conversation about once every 12 minutes that's exactly yes of course you feel important because you were Uh, yeah (laughs) and so so what happens when in those six months so you are who are you meeting and who are these conversations and how does this lead to the next phase of your life so 
who I'm meeting is I interned in the casting department. So I became, I'm now friends with Cecilia Pleva, who was the head of casting there. And that turned out to be like a, a very helpful to me, not only because she was a great person to work for, but then after I, uh, after my internship ended, she would call me to do bits on the show. And that was huge. Like people, okay. students who were performing at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater just like uh, uh, coveted these opportunities to perform. Of course. Cause, yeah, it's a you work for two hours. It's a great paycheck and you're on national mm-hmm. television. So that was huge. And um, I was very lucky that she would call me. And um, but I met I got to meet a lot of the writers and. And one of them in particular is yes. my now husband. Michael. It worked out. It worked out. But I, I should mention that he was, well, first of all, we, we were friends. We were hanging out a lot during that. That's how I met him. I always think it's nice when something, you know, romantic develops from something yes. where you were just at first friends. Cause you really like just of, a real relationship, right? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't always, there's any number of paths a romance sure. can take, but I, I, it was nice. I knew him very well um, before I married him. <laughs> I should, right. I should and hope. Then you I know. married and him. Then yes. I married him. Fast forward. Um, but he was a younger writer, and I, as I said, I was an older intern. So we were also were three years apart. So I was yeah close in age, and so we would we started hanging out all the time, which was fun. And um, but also just meeting all the other writers there and feeling it was weird because um, I don't know if all interns in that kind of uh, uh, area are trying mm-hmm. to break into comedy or if they're trying mm-hmm. to, you know, do more like the producer side of things or uh, what have you. But I definitely wanted to be in comedy. So it was it was really neat for me to and, and I'm friends with a lot of the Conan people now. So um, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So that was, you know, I, I it was nice to be able to work, uh, I guess, for but feeling more like it was like alongside uh, funny people like that. Totally. I mean, that's some of the funniest writing, some of the funniest people. I mean, that show has just turned out really like top drawer comedy for a really long time. And what a wonderful place to learn. Um, So of course you're putting around the same time too, you're putting your English degree to work because you are a writer. I mean, this is, this is what you have studied. This is what you're good at. So you've in your twenties, you're writing for McSweeney's love. Oh my gosh. Like, do you not just love the McSweeney's content? Now. And like, I mean, every day there's something new that's just so helpful, a balm on our souls and just like so absurd kind of like very, very, very funny. I loved the material on that. Both are oh, online. Oh, it's so stuff. smart. Yeah, they're 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 very diverse. Yeah, some of the best pieces I've ever read are out of there. I, I get writer envy because it's so clever and so oh, well done. The Onion you wrote for the Onion. I wrote. Yeah. Um, you've got to tell. Like, t- give us one of your Onion headlines you're particularly proud of that you that you wrote. Um, nation grossed out by sight of young happy couple. <laughs> <laughs> I have like officially broken up with my like ex ex boyfriend, and I was so I was like, you just get out of here. Oh, that that gosh. prompted that headline. But uh, no, the, writing for the Onion, I adore the Onion. I just it's so brilliant, and of course it now it's like who even knows what's a satirical headline and what isn't. But fact, fact that that is a fact. But I I uh, I did not. I had to keep badgering the features editor to let me or not to let me i i needed i shouldn't say i kept badgering him i kept trying to write better headlines so that he would submit them to a meeting and that took a very long time but it, did it yeah it took a year which i think is a long time wow it feels like a long time it feels like a long time to be sent and, and joe joe garden was the editor's name and again like 
what a hero because he could have just said, mm. you now need to stop. But he never did. Right. <laughs> he is. I adore him. <laughs> like, Ellie, you need to read the room. We've said no 12 well, it, times in a row. It's, it's yes. an interesting, it's an interesting <laughs> conundrum because like for anyone, like when do you know, I'm not sure there's, I'm, I think the answer always varies. You, when do you know that you should call it quits? Like, you know, because if you if you don't keep on, then absolutely, thank goodness you didn't. And I, I those are never a loss for me. All those are I learn a lot from that. And there's something about there's something that builds inside of us. I think like a tenacity, and um, I, I I'm convinced that to some degree rejection is good uh, to have to power through it and put your head down and get better and learn from it. Like, I don't think that is a terrible thing. I, I applaud you for sticking to it for a whole year. Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about something I think you're going to love, especially if your heart belongs to dogs or coffee not necessarily in that order. So Grounds and Hounds Coffee Company was founded with an important mission to provide at-risk dogs a second chance at a full life. Oh my gosh. They fund their mission by creating an amazing cup of coffee. So Grounds and Hounds sources 100% fair trade, organic coffee beans, and you will taste the difference in every single cup. And here's the kicker. Grounds and Hounds gives 20% of their profits to people and organizations fighting for our canine friends. So whether it's providing pet food for low-income households or donating toys and food for shelter dogs, Grounds and Hounds strives to make a difference for every pup, one cup at a time. So whether you're buying for yourself or a friend this holiday season, Save 20% on your entire Grounds and Hounds coffee order with the code GENSFRIENDS20, J-E-N-S-F-R-I-E-N-D-S-20, GENSFRIENDS20. Go to groundsandhoundscoffee.com and enter promo code GENSFRIENDS20 at checkout. So let's talk more about your writing because you have this amazing skill set and you've honed it with all these essays and sort of online pieces and um, articles. And so now you've written your first book of essays. I would love to hear all about it. It's called My Squirrel Days, phenomenal title, which I want to know about that. (laughs) So will you just talk a little bit about how this book came to be and what we can expect out of it? And also what was that writing process like for you? Because writing a book is different than writing an article. So writing the book was, um, awful. And like, (laughs) I love it. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's, I do. It's, it's like getting, it's one thing to have a story or an idea in your head. And as you know, getting it down on the page is, I mean, you just want to throw yourself out the window. It is so. You really do. What? And it's weird because I'm like, I'm not in physical torment right now. Like I'm not, you know, <laughs> yeah. in pain. But at the same time, I would leave like one, you know, hire, get a babysitter, like huh? squirrel, I was about to say, like hide yourself uh-huh. away for three hours and, and try to write. Well, okay. It's, it's, it's yeah. empty. Your brain's empty. empty. You have nothing. Empty. You have no words. Yep. And you emerge with nothing and you feel like what yes. were those three hours and that wasted babysitter money because you have nothing to show for it. And I, I can only assume that that's just part of the experience. And like, even though you didn't 
right? And he, there's like two words on the um, page huh. and it's just your name. You, I think your brain, right. I can only hope that your brain was working through some of the stuff. So I do think that process was very difficult, but I also think it was, as any difficult thing is, very satisfying when like you did complete an essay or when you did feel like, okay, I captured totally. something I was trying to capture. But, um, you know, I set out to write a funny book. And I always thought it was going to be a little more along the lines of McSweeney's or the onion, something more absurd. Yeah. And something more, um, I guess comedy driven. But when I started writing, I, uh, it felt like I, I, there wasn't really a space for the more absurd, uh, Hmm. like, uh, fiction pieces. And it, it was turning into more a collection of essays about me. And so that, that it took a turn, I think, that sounds like it took a dramatic turn. It just tur- it t- uh-huh. my my goal, I think, changed as I was writing it. But um, right. yeah, it's also hard because I wanted to tell personal stories, but I also am, am like, I mean, I'm fairly private. I felt like I didn't want to, uh-huh. you know, reveal too much or anything that I was uncomfortable with revealing. And so that was a a uh, tricky task for me. Cause if you sign up to Absolutely. write a collection of personal stories and I would imagine you encounter this on your podcast all the time, like, well, what are you going to share with uh-huh. people and what do you need to keep to yourself? And that's tricky. It is. It's a tight needle to thread. And when you're, you know, writing memoir and I've, a couple of my books are real memoir too. And, and there is that it feels pretty vulnerable. Right. I mean, there is just this here are the words and this is my actual lived life. Right. And now I'm going to put it in your hands and you just kind of have to trust the reader yeah. to be gentle with your story and to be compassionate. And they sometimes are, and they sometimes aren't. Um, and so, yeah, I, I find being an author very tender sometimes. Um, right. I, I, I get the dilemma because you want to at once be um, accessible and transparent and, and offer something real and true and genuine, but also it's your life. You know, you right. just don't want it completely laid bare for the world to dissect however they feel like it. Totally. And so, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I, I really get the dilemma. And how do you get through that? I mean, how do you, and especially in an age now where everyone shares everything on social media, Good point. Know, I don't know. Is there like a, is there like a, I don't know, checklist or something you go through? Cause I'm still not clear about that. Yeah. You know, I don't know either. I, 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 you would think 12 books in, I would have a good answer for this, but I do not. I, uh, yeah, I know. I don't know what to say about that. That's really doesn't speak well of me, but you know, it's interesting now because, uh, I'm a, I'm such a, like a parent because there's so many kids. And so a lot of that I have to get permission on. So some of that I have to go to the kids and be like, is this a story we can tell? Is this a thing we can talk about? Right, right. Um, and so there's that, um, grid that I have to pass everything else through, but I don't know. I feel like at the end of the day, I've said this before, but when I think about my reader, I am thinking, okay, I am going to think the absolute best of my reader, the best. I'm going to think of her highest self, her most fantastic ideals, her best dreams. I'm going to give her every benefit of the doubt. I am going to assume that I am for her and she is for me. And I kind of write to that person. And so, um, because I've noticed before that if I'm not careful, I tend to write accidentally to my critics. And it comes across as kind of like, pissed and just that is so but how perceptive to recognize that because you've written a bunch more than I have but to to, because absolutely I have that you know little voice in my head as I'm writing well what the critics voice and or potential critics and 
that is so powerful to to be sure that you're not, I guess, what? I don't want to say going down to that, but that you're not uh, yeah. engaging in that. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't like have this very tight feel of being defensive. Right. And I, I don't know. I don't want to live like that. So I definitely don't want to write like that. Right. And while that does sort of tend to leave us out there a little bit, um, you know, laid bare right. and vulnerable, if you will, I've never regretted it. And, um, and so I, I think that readers are smart and they pick up on who you are and how you feel. And, and that's exactly what they're going to find in your book too, because it's, it's just all you and you tell a lot of like honest stuff in there. And I think everybody's, everybody's hungry for that for sure. I really love some of your mom hacks oh, that you include. Thank you. I, I should you. be asking you about mom hacks. I mean, I have no. Does any mom know? My mom recently disclosed me. She's like, well, no one knows what they're doing. I was like, when it comes yes. from your own mother, it's so exactly. powerful. <laughs> totally. And I love it that our moms are telling us this. And I'm always trying to tell younger moms behind me the same thing. Like this whole idea that we've got this down and there's some system or formula that we figured out to get it all right or to get us these guaranteed outcomes. That is all a lie. Yeah. That is nothing about that is true. Um, and so you've done this. You've given us this in this book that you are like a, re- a mom who's a real person and you're juggling a family and a job and writing and experience. And it just makes us feel better that you have the same dilemmas as the rest of us. It makes uh, me feel better hearing yes. from you about that. But, but yeah, I, I don't understand any of it. It's, it's really hard. <laughs> and, and the guilt that you feel when you're working and the guilt that you feel when you're not working and the guilt thing, I know oh, that's, you know, a, a well-trod like uh, discussion and, and, but I'll tell you, it doesn't seem to go away. And I don't, you tell me, like, mm. I don't know if it subsides. I, I know at a certain point you're like eager for a break and you must, and you need time mm-hmm. to yourself, but, but you know, I, it's so, it's so multi-layered and complicated to me. And, uh, I don't know what, I I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm supposed to say this. I don't know if dads feel the same mm-hmm. amount of, uh, uh, if they have the same struggle with this. Cause I, my mm-hmm. husband uh, uh, obviously loves James with his entire being. I don't of think course. he feels bad, you know, going like leaving, right. leaving for an afternoon. No. You know what I mean? Do it. Having some time to himself. Of course I know yeah. you're telling the truth. Yeah. It's true. I don't know what that And is. if I was interviewing him right now, yeah. this would probably not be a, a, a piece of the conversation we'd be having right. of the juggle and the balance. And it does feel like it's disproportionately centered on the moms. Yes. And we kind of bear an interesting way. Literally, and never in his life has a person asked my husband, how do you balance it all? Oh, and I, know. I get asked that in every interview. I know. And so uh, it, you're right. You're, you're right. And those are just gender norms that are left over from a long time ago. Yep. And, but we still feel the tremors. That's just a fact. That is, I mean, we do. Here's the thing. And I, this is when I really snap at my husband is what I, I, I don't know if it's just like our brain chemistry, like that of, of women, but we do everything. So where I yes. come home from work and then I'm like, I'm managing the household. I'm absolutely managing it. And so I'm figuring out, you know, when, uh, like, like what, sheets we need to wash and I'm Uh figuring out like what James is going to have for lunch the next day and it's not like if I tell Michael oh can you figure this out absolutely he will but it doesn't Uh occur to him because I'm the manager I I didn't sign up for that I just am (laughs) 
Yes. That's, and, and, and you can't turn it off and it might not get done if that drawer does not get opened in that part of your life. And so, you know, it's not a matter of just going, well, I'm just not going to do it. You know, that's that's, what it is. You can't, if you, if uh you don't do it, then it won't get done. That's exactly right. And I know, but it's, also, I know. I, I'm with you. I'll snap at him when he's asking me, he'll ask me this all the time. He'll say, uh, does this out, does like this shirt go with this pants? Cause I don't know why he asked me, I have no sense of fashion. I don't know why he's deferring to me, but I, I won't yell. I'll say, Michael, that is a decision. I don't have the brain space to make. <laughs> and he's like, you could have just said yes or no. I wouldn't know if you were lying. And I'm like, no. That is so more energy to tell me that. But I know what you're saying. Like, I just need to have this one moment where I'm not making a decision. Exactly just right. this one thing. Yeah. Like, just pick your shirt. I don't know. I wear don't it with know. the khakis. Where, I don't know. I don't know. And I've decided uh, I have a limited amount of energy in a day. So, like, I don't want to use any energy on that that part, right? Although I did just Totally. That. Yeah. We get it. What have you figured out? Like, have you offloaded some stuff? Have you at this season? Cause, cause your son is just two, he's yes, little yeah. and, and your career is just so like red hot, amazing. Yeah. And so are you, have you kind of taken a look like the 35,000 foot view and go for now, and maybe this isn't forever, but for now, this, 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 and this is a no. You are smart to do that. I mean, to, 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 hmm. to throw that out there. I mean, I have the problem of thinking that everything is, I don't take the $35,000, uh, 35,000 foot view. I take uh-huh. the like, yeah, two inch view. And I'm like, no, sure. this is major in this moment. But you are so oh, right yeah. because if you realize, okay, you know, this might be a, a, a limited amount of time. And in the long term, you're not going to remember that, you know that didn't get done or this was not done or whatever. Right. Um, that's hard for me, I don't, for mm-hmm. me personally to do, but I think it's necessary because you have to see the forest for the trees and you have to prioritize. Like that's a new skill exactly. to master. I'm bad at prioritizing. Me, I've learned to be better at yeah. it um, only because after a while, it just, it's, it's a pace that feels unsustainable at some point. Like, um, and I'm, I am kind of a type a, like get it done, you know, foot on the gas. So I can probably handle that longer than most. I, but I start to feel like my body starts to tell me the truth. Like you, if you do not sort this out and start saying no to about half this stuff, we are going to have a mutiny. Um, and so I know, but it is, it is tricky because there's also this sense. I tell, I don't know if you feel this way. I bet you do that. Um, in, in my work, in your work, there's this little voice on my head that says, if you say no to this, you'll never get it again. Oh, sure. Like this is not going to loop back around. You're going to get forgotten. Yep. You're going to get out of the, out of the, the loop. Yep. You, your name's going to get shoved to the side yep. and it'll be replaced by somebody's waiting in the wings. Yep. And that voice is very mean oh. and it wants me to never say no. I, and that voice is like holding you or me to an impossible standard. But I, I also hear that voice and it's like, well, this will make it or break it. When I have found yeah. often when you do say no to something, it, weirdly, something else does come up almost immediately, which you then also of course. maybe should say no to. But but it does. I do think there's, um, you know, what I used to be guilty of was making plans and then canceling. And I mean, mostly mm. plans with friends, just like social outings I would bail on. So I was like, yeah. Ellie, now you must be realistic. Are you really going to want to go, you know, to have dinner at the end of a long day of work 
Well, no, you yeah. want to go home and get in your pajamas. So just say no to that from the get go. And with that, that then you're like saving time because you're not feeling guilty by bailing, and you're also totally. getting the sleep you need to get. Yeah, that is, the, and those add up. Like those little decisions add up to sort of restore a little bit of peace into your weekly rhythm. And those aren't, they seem small by themselves, but you string enough of those together and life feels a tiny bit more um, sane. And I'm with you. Like I, I'm always telling women, I don't believe in scarcity. So I don't know why I act out of it sometimes. Like this is all that there's ever going to be. So I've got to grab it while it's, but that's not really how life goes either. That's, I agree with you. That's not my experience right. that um, you say one, no once and it'll, nothing will ever come back to you. That's not really how the world works. Um, let's go back a little bit to your TV career, if you don't mind. Um, of course, every one of us remembers your like breakthrough, amazing role on the office because it was just, that was so fun to watch. It was so, um, amazing. You know, you're having to replace the beloved Pam, which is a pretty tall order and you did it. (laughs) You made America fall in love with you as Aaron. I mean, you did it. We had no choice. We were captivated. Um, tallest order. Tell us about it. Tell me, how did you get that job? And, and tell us about your experience just a little bit in it. And as in that character, cause she's so fun. Yeah. First of all, Thank you for those very generous words. I, uh, okay, here it was, first of all, I was a huge fan of The Office before being cast on it. Yeah. So I, I adored the show. I felt like I knew everyone on the show. And I think in uh, the 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 timeline leading up or the series of events leading up to my audition for Aaron was that I had written my one person show feeling sad slash mad with Ellie Kemper because I had to get my name in the title name recognition. And I did, I was performing that show and I got called in to audition for Saturday night live, which I did not get. So talk about, you know, things not happening and then other things happen. But I think by even auditioning for it, it put my name out there. So, you know, Mm -hmm. other producers and, and, uh, agents started to know who I was. And so I signed with an agency after that, after not getting a part. So that's, that's good. I think, you know, some, some very good thing came out of that. And it was my agent, Sharon, at the time, her name was Sharon Scheinwald, who set me up with a, um, on a meeting with Mike Shore, who was one of the the producers of, of the office. And so, um, and Greg Daniels. And so that, uh, uh, by the way, Greg Daniels wasn't an, an afterthought. It was specifically she she worked with Mike Shore. That's why. If Got Greg it. is listening to this, you are not an afterthought. You're you are the office. Not second place. <laughs> but I just remember the email was like meeting with Mike Shore. Also, yeah, Greg Daniels will come if he has time. So anyway, that yes. that's how that it led from a show to a failed audition to finding an agent yeah. and hooked me up with those guys. So I I I just talked with them. I had a meeting in their office, and then um a, like a month later, I I now know that I auditioned for Parks and Recreation, but I wasn't really sure. It, it didn't say Parks and Recreation. It was for a character named Donna. Uh, yeah, I don't, I didn't know, I still uh-huh. don't really know what it was for because I've never seen a character like the one I read for and I've also never seen the scene that I read for. So who knows what it was, uh, but um, uh, I didn't get that. And so then I um, uh, was called in a couple months after that for a, a, I think it was a six show, a six episode arc on The Office to be the replacement receptionist while Pam was working yep. at the Michael Scott Paper Company, and then the story changed, and and Aaron got to become the full time receptionist. She did. Yeah, <laughs> she 
did. Um, I, I'm, I love that. And you, I, I think the story changed because you were there. I, I can only imagine that they had you and realized we would be dumb dumbs to the, make this a six episode part for her because it just seemed like once you joined the show, you had always been there. I, 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 I don't even really remember it before you were on it and you brought such like you just brought a lot of joy to that cast. You know, I, I would love to hear your thought on this. Just uh, a few days ago, um, I was uh, interviewing for the show um, Jamila Jamil, and she works on The Good Place. Mm-hmm. And Mike Scher is the um, producer on that yeah. show, too. And she just spoke of the environment that he creates oh, yeah. on the set in such glowing terms. Like, what a like such a great and a positive work environment was that your experience too y-e-s i mean i as Mm -hmm. i said earlier i'm the luckiest person on the planet because i would think that when you come in fifth season of a show that is doing just fine without you and the people on that show are so welcoming to you and warm and don't bat an eye and are offering you know i think that's that starts at the top and i think that is that that's an indication that your showrunners are gracious, classy people. And that is, I I completely agree with that sentiment. And that's a great point. Like when you come in five seasons in now, the dynamic is really going to show you what it is. That's right. Um, When you're not one of the founding cast members, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that the, you know, lead actor on the show, Steve Carell, like a lot starts with him too. So between Greg Daniels, Mike Schur and Steve Carell, it's like, and the same situation on The Good Place, I'm sure, where you have these people who have been, um, who are who are good people to begin with. And so, you know, yeah. that's that's a real um, luxury. So this might, just my favorite thing to think about is that this, so the office is winding down. And this is just bananas. The chairman of NBC Entertainment tells Tina Fey, who's like, you know, Tina Fey. a comedy yeah. goddess. I mean, it's Tina Fey. Like, I don't even, she's in her own category. Yes, is. There isn't a, There's no one. I don't know how else to talk about no her. Dorm. And, she, and he says to her, I want you to write a pilot for Ellie Kemper. Like, I don't even know what to say. That is so amazing. Did you freak out? Well, I mean, that is so flattering. Oh my God. Well, first of all, I do not know exactly what went down. I know. I mean, I, I would imagine he threw out a number of people, you know, who he might be interested in making a show with. So, so let's like, gotta be realistic about that. But I, are you kidding me? Like, I know. You know it, first of all, first of all, so Robert Carlock and Tina Fey are writing partners yeah. and they, she created 30 Rock. He was the showrunner. I think he was yeah. the showrunner. He was the executive producer. They work hand in hand. Exactly. I adore that. So so in the first place, the 30 Rock is the most incredible show you've ever seen on television. I right? Know. I mean, it's just brilliant. <laughs> so, you know, that is. is there on its own. And then separately, I so loved Tina's uh, bossy pants. I loved her Same. as Sarah Palin. Like all of it, right? So she, like you just said, she's right. a, 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 yeah. in her own universe. Yeah. In a good way, on her own plane. Um, yeah, yes. so that I, I, okay, that first meeting with them, I, I have never been so nervous in my life. <laughs> were you so nervous? I mean, of course yeah, you were. You're meeting these icons, and you're and you're, uh, you just don't want to mess it up, and and so I, I get 
I'm an anxious person. I get nervous for a whole bunch of stuff. But, but that right. felt like a new, a new and previously unexperienced type of nervousness. I cannot even right? imagine. And was this like super initial? Like we don't even have an idea yet, or we have a very developed idea. It was. I think it was initial. Maybe they had the idea and they didn't tell it to me then. But they uh-huh. they were. Uh, it was. It was a like I was told it was sort of a general meeting just to meet them. And it was. I remember it because it was in May. So I think the office had definitely just ended that year. And 30 Rock, I think, ended earlier. I think they ended in December mm-hmm. of that year. And so um, it, to me, felt like a general uh, meeting. But then only a couple months later, I had dinner with them again. And they and they presented the actual idea that they had, which, which I definitely <laughs> thought was not the actual idea. I'm dying to hear. What did you oh think? Gosh. I mean, in our lives, we have never seen a storyline no, like this. It not. is so – it's just bonkers. It's totally bonkers. And – what, what what were you thinking? Were you thinking this is a disaster or this is brilliant or something in between? I think it was. Of course, I made it about me. The, my initial reaction was to make it about me. And I was like, they're definitely testing me. Because if I take them at their word, <laughs> you will know that I am a fool. And, and that was the answer. So I was like, okay. And then when they sent me the script, um, I realized, oh, they're not. Like, you're an idiot. Yeah. You are an idiot, but in a different way. They, they did write the show. And here is the what. I felt so nervous about the premise because it's not – for anyone listening who doesn't know what it's about, it's about a young woman who was kidnapped when she was 14 and held underground in a bunker by a crazy man played by John Hamm. And then 15 years later, she's uh, rescued by the FBI. A, 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 a yes. sitcom. <laughs> I mean, obviously, uh, just as you as do. As you do. So uh, yes. that is why these guys are total magicians, because they managed to exactly. make that premise uh, into a funny show, a brilliantly funny show. The writing on that show oh is my bananas, gosh. like you said. And so... So any any fear, I would not say that I had any fear about the show. I had a fear about my ability to portray a woman who had been through that and also make it uh-huh. you know, and make it optimistic and funny. Um, but the writing takes care of ninety nine percent of that. So it's it's literally brilliant. I mean, anybody who has been around me. I, I, I wish it's almost embarrassing how much I love Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and how I've watched it all the whole thing through at least three times. It is so it's funny. Fu- and, and, it is just so and funny. And the jokes work on like, like we'll have oh filmed God. the scene and not until I watch the show months later will I understand a joke. I'm like, oh, that's what that joke because they're really, <laughs> right? They like, or may, again, maybe I'm an idiot, but they're like, they work on different, uh, it's, and it's, it's lightning fast. Like if you miss it. Oh beat, my yeah. gosh. The, the dialogue is so snappy yes. and your castmates are just, I mean, I just, the ensemble of, of your chemistry with the, with your fellow actors is so great. Oh, I mean, I it feels like lightning in a bottle. Like you almost, it almost just feels so special. You can never recapture it exactly like it is. It is. It's so wonderful. Well, I, Do yeah. you, what are they like? I, I, again, I feel very lucky. I sp- the first person I met, the first actor I met there was Titus Burgess, who right. plays Titus Andromedon. <laughs> and, uh, oh my, can Can't. you, I know if you, no. you know, I don't know what the situation would have been like if I would met him and thought, Ooh, I don't know. This is going to be hard. I don't know. Uh-huh. Well, we would have persevered. It would have been, you know, manageable. You would have had to make it manageable. Thank goodness. I, it was one oh of the, gosh. you know, when you meet someone, you're like, no, 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 I've, I've met you before. Like, I don't know how I just, I know I have your number. Oh, yeah. That was the dynamic. And I was so, I still feel so grateful for that. And then are you joking when you put Jane Krakowski and Carol Kane I know. and you're like, oh, these are icons. I, I'm yeah. now working with them. I just, 
it, it yeah I've, i between the office and Kimmy Schmidt I've been so lucky to work with people who are not only brilliant but but kind people Oh, I love hearing that. Anytime I find out that actors that I love are good behind the scenes and they're good to one another, I'm so Isn't thrilled because that's not always the story, no, of course. It's not. Um, it's not. And just to be able to manage such incredible chemistry with one another, the show is so good. And Titus is just too oh. much. It's just too much. He's too much for this world. I cannot I handle how funny he is and how perfect you two are together. Well, Did it take you a while to, to nail Kimmy? Like <laughs> Kimmy is so special, you know, there's nobody like her. And so I don't know, like, how did you, how did you manage Kimmy? Because you're just, you, you brought her to life. I can't, I, when my brain is thinking, who else could have ever played oh. that part? I can't find a single well, person. That's nice. Of you, but You're just, you were well, right for this. They wrote it for well, you and it was perfect. So much of it is in the writing. So I do feel like in terms of finding Kimmy, I think there was, you know, I think there was, I think that uh, certainly the character has evolved and I don't know if my portrayal of her evolved. I, 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 in a similar way, I felt like, oh, I have Kimmy's number. Like I've met that fighter and I, I feel like you do mm-hmm. have, um, there was something very vulnerable about her, but she also, uh, she, she's silly and, and she can be girlish and she can be, um, you know, naive, but she's so tough. And I feel like I, yeah. it sounds corny. I, as a person, derive so much strength from her because she. Does it sound corny? Well, it's, it's, it's been so helpful, especially in our like world, which is so tough to, to think about something through Kimmy's eyes where like she doesn't back down and she's she's tenacious and fierce and she's also you know doesn't understand any current pop culture references so it's like she's just (laughs) this delight delightful warrior (laughs) yeah that is so great i can imagine that there's got to be moments where you're like what would kimmy do here like she would somehow manage to maintain her like precious endearing integrity and also just like power through that's it. right she is just such a great right. character i mean i i've never i've never known a character like her and you just bring her to life nice. that show has brought so much so many of us so much joy i mean it is just the most amount of fun i'll never get tired of it if you want to make 79 oh. seasons i will show up for every single episode please never stop I, I know i wish that were the case i know it's a great and it's I a know. great and of course like the group of people you work with is as you know plays such a part in that so so let me ask you two more quick questions and then off you go to the rest of your and busy you day too, um, my friend. <laughs> here's what i want to ask you I, I love comedy and I've always been a fan and a very amateur student of it. And just humor was a really big part of my childhood and it's a part of my career too. And so I actually know how hard comedic acting is. It is being funny is hard. Writing funny is hard. Acting funny is hard. It is, it's such a really specific skill set. And so like from your perspective, because this is your genre, um, what, what would you say is probably the most challenging thing about being a comedic actor? Like what, what is the thing that most people don't know when they just watch you? It feels so natural. It feels so easy. Um, but what, what, what do they not understand? I think that the toughest thing is understanding that not every, uh, attempt is going to be successful and not every, mm-hmm. um, every approach, I guess, is going to be, uh, um, 
the way that works. So, because I will experience such humiliation if I do something a certain way and like nobody on the set laughs or like, you know, no, something that's supposed to be, and you just feel like you, again, you're like, why am I even doing this? And, you know, so I don't know if that, but I would say that's the toughest part of the job because, and that's more, uh, um, sensitivity thing, I guess, but just feeling like you're being put in a vulnerable position. You're, 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 you know, need to expose a little bit of yourself. I mean that figuratively to like, um, to, for the sake of comedy. And I think that when it fails, it feels very personal. And so maybe absolutely. Yeah. Yes. It's, it is, it's a weird vulnerability. Yes. And, and there is nothing worse in the world than being in a live room and you're, you thought you said something funny and it's crickets oh. and it's, it gets in your head. It, you yep. get so rattled. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, yeah, that's a great answer. Powering through that, doing it again, doing it better the next time right. and not letting that discourage you is really something. I mean, dramatic actors don't need the laughs. And right. so you can have a silent room and you feel like you're doing and that's amazing. exactly what you want. Right. I remember there was one scene during Kimmy where like, it was just a lot of like Kimmy was flailing around a lot and it was silent. And I was just like, I, I at that point, I just told myself, okay, you got it. They're discussing the writing. They're discussing, you yeah. know, oh, the light is bad. So you just have to believe that. Otherwise you will go home and just never come out again. That's true. You have quite a bit of physical comedy with, with Kimmy. It's, it's some flailing. It's, there's um, some flailing going on. Yes. Okay. Last question. Um, what, what's next for you? What do you want to do? Like what, as you sort of look at, let's just say your next decade, do you have some things that you'd like to try or roles you would love to take on or, uh, any, any sort of new projects that you're like, I'd like to try my hand at that. Yeah. Uh, I do. And I, 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 this is the first time that I'm, um, like, I guess looking for a new job with a, now that, uh, having, being a mom. So mm-hmm. I, I was never, like, when uh, Kimmy came along, I was, I didn't have James yet, my baby. And yeah. so, you know, it changes everything. So, sure. so figuring out like, you know, how any of those goals have changed now that there's, that I have a family is, has mm-hmm. been an interesting puzzle to put together because, and it's only been, um, Kimmy, we finished shooting Kimmy at the end of June. And so I, I'm not really sure what is next. I would love to, um, I, I would love to, I would love to do more work in movies. Um, I've always wanted to be in a Nancy Myers movie. I'll just say it. Yeah. Put <laughs> it out there. That, putting it out. That's a very tangible yes. goal of mine. But um, I, I don't, you know, I don't have the decade plan and I feel like something, um, I'm, my husband and I talk about this all the time. Like what is, how do you have a family and you continue to work, mm-hmm. you know, in the creative arts? It is yep. be it a, an exciting and challenging, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Pro, uh, not problem puzzle to put together. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, uh, um, I don't, I'm not, I don't have a, a definite, uh, certain answer just yet. Well, that's great. I mean, the, the thing is you've got the chops for all of it. I mean, you have shown us what you can do in TV. You have shown us what you can do in movies. Um, you, you showed us what you can do in, in literature. And so, gosh, what, I mean, what can't you do? I just feel like anything that you're interested in, there's going to be an amazing space for you mm-hmm. and, uh, it'll just open up. And the good thing too, is feels like right now we have a lot of women to look to for like mentorship in terms of how do you manage your family? You have so right. you're surrounded by a lot of really smart women um, in your field who have kids and husbands and, um, and it's, it's good for all of us actually to watch you guys 
figure it out. Right. Like, okay, this is what a healthy family can look like still with a very vibrant career. And I know, right. we have more and more examples set for us all the time. Yeah. Um, we're once upon a time, it was a little bit more rare air. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I just feel like whatever's the next for you, we just are here for it. We can't wait. Right back, right back at you. And thank you for saying that. And and I agree looking to other people mm-hmm. who, who are, who are, who you admire and who are doing this is so key to helping, you know, clarify your own path. Absolutely. And then I remember, you know, the next generation is watching us too. And so I love being able to show them that you can, you can go for it. I mean, you can chase down these like dreams that are so like wild and most people would say improbable and still have this beautiful home life. It is so possible. So listen, these are three like rapid fire questions. We're closing out the show for everybody in the TV series. Okay. So you just, just top of your head. What was your favorite TV show as a kid? Seinfeld. Oh my gosh. Classic. Yeah. Um, before, before your rise into, to acting, um, did you have a, I really want to work with them someday actor? Oh, uh, uh probably Ted Danson from cheers. Cause I had a crush on him. <gasps> Oh, who didn't? Who didn't? Who didn't? I know. He's just, he's as good now as he ever was. He's just, he's Ted Danson. It's like the two oh, they're, they're in their own, own. Uh, yes. Planet. We're just orbiting around their moon. Exactly. Um, right. Um, this is the last question we ask. I ask every guest this question. This is a twist on it. Um, do you have a TV show that is like giving you life right now? Honestly, comedians in cars getting coffee. Uh-huh. I yes. am, wait, is I say right? I always mess up the season. Uh-huh, that's it. I am loving it. It's, it's a perfect amount of time before I go to bed. It is always just funny people talking. I totally. love looking at the diners they're going to. And I, I'll be honest, it's just a palate cleanser at the end of the day. And I'm always, as you are, I, I shouldn't assume, I would imagine you're exhausted at the end of the day from everything you've been doing during the day. And yeah. so I can't, I can't like stay up for more than 20 minutes. So watch. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's not, you know, the most, it's not like the deepest show. It's the loveliest show though. <laughs> oh, that is a perfect answer. And you know what? We need a little happiness and laughter in the world that's, right now. That's exactly right. It is not small. Okay. Listen, Ellie, thank you so much for being on the show. You are just as wonderful as we all knew. And thanks for making us laugh. And thanks for bringing a lot of life and love into our homes, like through our TV sets. It's just great. Like you've served us really well and, and brought a lot of joy to so many millions of us. And so it's just so good to have you on the show and we're cheering you on girl. Listen to me. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I'm a huge fan and I really appreciate your, your taking any time to, to, chat with me. And also thank you for bringing so much happiness to the world. This is exactly what you do. So thank you. Absolutely. So whatever you do next, here we are. Okay. guys. All right. Ellie Kemper. Thank you. So I don't know what we have to do to like make her hours or is there paperwork to fill out or is there some sort of online form that we submit? I don't know what it is, but she is a gem. Um, what fun to have her on the show today. Oh my gosh. I love my job. So she's wonderful. Everything we talked about today is going to be over at jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab. We'll have it all linked out. The whole transcript is there first of all, and then we'll have links and clips and bonus material and pictures and everything you ever wanted. If you want a little bit more, um, from this episode, she was so great today and I was so glad to host her. This is such a fun series. I love for the love of TV. 
Uh, oh my gosh. I could literally interview people for a hundred years about it. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks for all your fun feedback on this series too. I know we've had so many amazing leading ladies, you guys, they are funny and smart and entertaining. And it's been so much fun to talk to them about their careers and their shows more to come more to come. I tell you that much for sure. So thanks for joining this week and thanks for being loyal listeners. Thank you for subscribing. Um, more and more and more of you subscribe all the time. And if you haven't go do it, that just means every new episode will just pop up in your phone. You don't even have to try to find it. There it is just waiting for you. Um, we release every single week for you. And by we, I mean my producer, Laura and her team and my assistant and partner, Amanda, and we love doing this for you. This is our favorite work. So um, thanks for being here, you guys. I hope you enjoyed Ellie as much as I did, and I'll see you next week for more. Hey, guys. We're back for another segment of Jen's Favorite Things. So this is the part of the show where I share about some wonderful companies that are producing amazing products and giving back to charitable organizations and really worthy nonprofits. Plus, they have exclusive discounts and extras just for you, our podcast listeners. So here are today's favorites. Looking for a treat to serve at the holidays? Nutty Snacks are all-natural snack mixes that are gluten-free and grain-free. Vanilla, cinnamon, chocolate peanut. There's a nutty snack for every taste. And just for our listeners, get a limited edition for the love snack mix for free that I picked out just for you with any purchase. So go to nuttysnacks.com and use the code for the love at checkout. Bear Soaps offers all natural soaps and candles that support women in India with fair wages. Bear has gorgeous gift sets to make giving even more special this holiday season. And just for our listeners, you can get 15% off your purchase with the code GINHATMAKER15. So head over to bear-soaps.com and use the code GINHATMAKER15. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.